Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. This is our second week in in our summer series in Jonah. Uh, We'll be in this book for a few more weeks, but uh, last week uh, I got through all of three verses in Jonah. So I promise I'm going to get a little bit further on this week. So last week, just to give you a little context and a little recap, last week we talked about uh, Jonah and God giving Jonah a, uh, uh, a command. Uh, he says, get up, get up now, uh, go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to the people in Nineveh, uh, and I want you to, to tell them that I'm going to destroy them for their sin. What a message, right? What a message. So Jonah immediately gets up, right? And he goes... His aim is to go about 2,500 miles in the other direction. And so Jonah is disobeying God. He's being disobedient to God. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture uh, throughout the, 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 uh, a good chunk in the rest of Jonah chapter 1, or at least to verse 16 this morning, uh, where Jonah is in still direct disobedience to God. Now, I don't know about you, uh, unless you live a Christian, perfect, a perfect Christian life, I, I can safely say I do know about you. We, we all live in disobedience to God from time to time, right? We all live in disobedience to God from time to time. And sometimes we as Christians uh, can even go through seasons of our lives and portions of our Christian walk in unrepented uh, an unrepenting disobedience to God. In First John chapter one, uh, verse eight, uh, it says, "If we have no sin, what we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." Right. In Colossians chapter three, Paul takes special care when he's writing to the church at Colossae. He's, he takes special care to to, to let them know that um, you are believers. Uh, you are believers in God. You are believers in Christ. Uh, but you need to put to death those things inside of you that are not of God. So I'm just going to read uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10 here. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly inside you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, uh, in these things you too also once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his, of its creator. What Paul is saying is like, you still are a believer, but you still struggle with sin. There's some things in your old life, some things about your old ways that you still go back to. Some things that you still live in. 
And we deal with that from time to time, unrepentant sin. When we talk about sin, uh, there's really, uh, you can categorize sin in a bunch of different ways, but I'm going to categorize it in two main ways this morning. The sin of commissions, the sin that we commit directly against God, right? When we, the, the, the word of God says, don't do this or don't do this, and we end up doing it anyway. And then we have what's called the sin of omission, right? Or, or when God tells us to do something, but we neglect to do it, and we refuse to do it. And funny enough, here in Jonah chapter 1, in the whole book of Jonah, Jonah's committing both. He's committing the sin of commission by getting up and running the other way and keeping his mouth shut. But he's also committing the sin of omission whenever he's not doing what God is telling him to do. So he's doing both here. And sometimes as Christians, we live in this unrepentant sin. But Paul says, put to death that sin in you. Put to death those deeds in you. Put to death the deeds of the body. And so let's start in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to pick off, uh, pick up from the verse that we left off on last week. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And we're going to talk about it a little bit. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of of the Lord. So God says, Jonah, get up. But Jonah, notice the language here. The, the author is very uh, purposeful in the language that he uses here. J- God says, get up, arise, get up, go to Nineveh. But Jonah, if you see in the scripture here in this verse, he goes down to Joppa to catch a, to catch a boat. God tells Jonah, he says, look, go to Nineveh. But Jonah goes and flees and his aim is to go to Tarshish. God says, I want you to give an urgent message. Get up. Go now. I want you to give an urgent message to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah urgently and with haste goes down to Joppa to flee to Tarshish. In fact, the language here in verse 3, he says that they pay, he pays the fare of the ship. Now in Hebrew and in ancient tradition, it's, 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 it means not that he's just buying a ticket to ride the ship, but that he's in such haste. And he's in such of a hurry, and he's in such, uh, 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 he's scrambling to get out of Dodge, and so he pays for the whole ship. That's what the language in, implies there. He's paying for the fare of the whole entire ship, and he's hiring the crew and the captain. He's paying for a lot of it. It comes at a great cost to him. Now, we don't know if Jonah's rich. We don't know if he has a lot of resources. We don't know how, how, uh, how much money he's got, but we do know this. That whether he has money or not, it costs him a lot to flee. And this is the point number one that I want to make here, okay? Point number one that I want to make here is when we live in unrepentant sin, it always costs us more than what we want to pay. It always costs us more than what we want to pay. When you refuse to repent of sin, when you refuse to, to X that sin out of your life and purge that sin out of your life, it's going to cost you more than what you want to pay. So Jonah rushes off from the presence of the Lord. And the idea is that he wants to leave the presence and the people of God to go to a land that knows nothing of the one true God. Now you got to think about the, the, uh, the occupation of Jonah here. Jonah is a what? A prophet. 
He's a prophet of God. And prophets are supposed to give God's message to people. They're supposed to tell people about God. But he's running off to a land that knows nothing of God, not to tell people about God, but to neglect his role as a prophet. To neglect his calling as a prophet. And this is the second point that I want to point out to you. Is that unrepentant sin will lead us to neglect the calling and the mission that God has for us in our life. Unrepentant sin will cause us to neglect the the mission and the calling and, and, and following the mission of the Great Commission in our lives. Unrepentant sin will cause us to neglect the calling that God has for us. This is the danger of living in sin and not repenting of sin, especially us as believers. This is a great danger to us. It kills us. It causes us to not do what God is calling us to do. Unrepentant sin does this. So does God let him go? He gets on the ship and he starts to go. And you would figure that God's just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use someone else. I'm sorry, I got a really tall bottle of water here and it just wants to topple over. I'm going to put it on the floor there. <laughs> if I kick it, oh well, it's gone. All right. It totally messed everything up. But does God let him go? He gets on the ship and he starts to go. And you figure God would say, okay, well, he's not going to go. Fine, Jonah. I'll just let you run. I'll let you do your own thing. I'll let you go live in misery for the rest of your life. I'm going to call somebody else to do it. I'm going to get somebody else to do it. You ever heard that, that saying, if God won't use you, if you, if you don't want to be used by God, God would just use somebody else. You ever heard that before, right? But it's different here. In the book of Jonah, it's different here. Why? God wants, God wants to use Jonah. Now, there are other, other prophets at this time. There are other prophets in the land of Israel and Judah. Just to name a couple, Amos is one of these prophets during this time. Hosea is one of the prophets during this time that, that, that Jonah is, is going to prophesy to Nineveh. But why doesn't God, here's the question, why doesn't God use one of them? A prophet that is actually willing to go. A prophet that's actually going to pour passion and excitement into the message that God has called him to preach. Why would God call Jonah and and be so adamant about using Jonah? And here's the reason, I think. Because God's not just interested in having the obedient service of his people. He's not so interested in just having the obedient service of his people. Yes, he wants obedience from us. Yes, he wants service from us. Yes, he desires that we obey him. But God's just not about getting the job done. I believe what God is after here is that God is after Jonah himself. He's after the heart of Jonah. See, because the story of Jonah... This whole experience that Jonah is having, one of the reasons why Jonah is having this experience is so that it's a message to Israel. It's a message to Israel. Israel is, at this time, rebelling against God, apathetic about the things of God, don't really care. They're, 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 They're walking away from God. And what God is trying to tell to the people of Israel through the story of Jonah and through the experience of Jonah is that I don't, I, I want you, Israel. I want your heart, Israel. You can go through the motions. You can serve in the temple. You can go through the motions and serve me and do these things. But if service without heart is, 
is just that, just service. But God says, I want your heart, Israel. I want you. And I believe this is the message that God's trying to get across is that God is adamant in using Jonah because he wants Jonah. He wants his heart. And he wants your heart. He doesn't want us to just go through the motions. He doesn't want us just to come to church every Sunday to plug into this ministry and that ministry just to serve. He wants us. He wants to draw near to us. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He wants an intimate relationship with you. But unrepentant sin hinders that. Let's look at verse 4 through 5. Y'all with me this morning? Thank you. It's quiet in here. Get me sweating. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Let's stop right there. The writer uses purposeful language to let the reader know that it's the Lord that brings up the storm. Jonah tries to run, and the Lord throws out a storm at Jonah, throws out a storm at this ship to try to get Jonah's attention. And don't say, now, let me pause right here and and give a disclaimer, okay? It is bad hermeneutics, bad biblical interpretation, and a bad way to read the Bible when we take Old Testament stories or even New Testament stories and insert ourselves into it and say, oh, I'm Jonah, I'm Jonah, because we're not Jonah, Jonah's Jonah, okay? Uh, we're not Israel at this time. Israel is Israel at this time. We don't have the message to Nineveh. There's not even a Nineveh right now, okay? So this is, this is not us, all right? It's, it's, that's not good Bible reading, all right? It's not also good Bible reading to take a story and to say this is how it happens all the time. This is, this is how God deals with unrepentant sin all the time is he throws a storm at your life. As he throws, throws the big waves and throws the big, the, 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 the big storms at your life so it'll crash your boat. This is not, this is not a descriptive of the way that God acts every single time when it comes to unrepentant sin. That's, that's a bad way to read the Bible as well. But we read the Bible in the fact that we read the stories, we pick out the principles from these stories, and it is a good way to read the Bible once we get these biblical principles and once we get these godly principles to relate them to our life, right? That is a good way to read the Bible. We relate it to our lives. And I'm not saying that every time you're in sin, God hurls a storm at your life and, and, and causes your air conditioner to break and causes your, your, your kid to get the flu and causes, you know, uh, your, uh, your, your dog to, I don't know, get a thorn in his paw or something like that. I, this is, this is not a, a, a demon behind every corner, alright? This is not how we read scripture. And this is not the relation that we can make to this passage of scripture. However, it does not mean that sometimes when we're in unrepentant sin that God doesn't allow a storm to come in our life to get our attention. Because he will. And sometimes he does. Why? This storm is violent. It's breaking up the ship. These sailors and Jonah is supposed to be in desperation for salvation. 
And sometimes when things come into our lives, that a storm, God will use a storm. Sometimes when the storm comes into our life, it's sometimes meant to drive us closer to God and near God rather than drive us away from God, right? We say, don't waste your suffering. You've heard me say that plenty of times before. Don't waste it. Even in a storm, don't waste the storm. Don't waste your suffering. It means, it means to drive you closer to God. The air conditioner breaks. You don't have the money to fix it. Praise God. I'm going to trust in you, Lord, for your provision because I trust in your character. Right? This is an example. But it should drive us to the Lord. It should drive us to God. Storms sometimes do that. Look at Amos chapter 4, for example. Amos, Amos says uh, to Israel, remember this story is meant to speak to Israel. And, and Amos is saying to Israel during this time, he says, look, uh, God has brought uh, 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 hunger to you, has brought thirst to you, has brought famine to you, has brought the sword against you, all so that it would bring, him back, bring you back to him. Now, ultimately, Israel does not come back. But... That's what God used that for. The sailors are very afraid here. They had to throw all their cargo overboard. Now, they're going to Tarshish. And Tarshish is a port, all right, in what would be today as the southern tip of Spain. Okay, the western, southern, southwestern tip of Spain. Okay? It was a port that was meant to transport very expensive goods. All right? Very, very rich port. Okay? I don't know how expensive this cargo was, but it's safe to assume that it's worth a lot of money. And they're throwing it overboard because they're in that much danger. Their ship is breaking up. This is something that they have to get fixed eventually. Uh, you, you ever think about like a story like this that Jonah, Jonah does this and, and you think about how, man, how did this long term affect the sailors? Like they had to replace their cargo. They had to fix their ship, put their ship in the shop. Okay, that's a, that's a weird phrase. Put their ship in the shop. All right. They had to put their ship in the shop to get it fixed. Okay. And so they, they, it affected them. It affected them in a way. And this is uh, something uh, that we need to realize that Jonah's sin affected other people. It affected other people. And it's the same way for us. Our unrepentant sin, the sin that we choose to stay in or the sin that we choose to take part in affects other people. I don't care how secret this sin is. It will affect your family, your friends, your kids, your church, whatever. It will affect other people. Why? Because you were meant to give something to your family. You were meant to give something to your kids. You're meant to give something, a contribute as a member of the body to your church. And when you're suffering in sin, the body suffers. In unrepentant sin, then the body suffers. Sin will always damage those around us. No doubt that these professional sailors were experienced in their their share of tremendous storms. They were probably experienced sailing through storms, but this had them scared to death. And it affected them in a great way. Your sin will affect other people. Let's read the rest of verse 5. We're inching through this. We're inching through it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Notice, Jonah continues his descent into deeper rebellion. He goes down from Joppa. He goes down into the ship. 
Now he goes down to the innermost part of the ship and he lays down. The author, like I said, is using this language purposefully. Because sin is always a descent. Remaining in unrepentant sin is always a descent, never standing still. You ever, you ever been to, uh, uh, the mall and you see the escalators, you know, you got one going up and one going down. And what is your kid? What did the kids try to do? What, what did my kids try to do? What did I used to do whenever I was little? Well, the one going down used to try to run up it, right? And, and used to see if you could, how fast you could get up it. Okay. But if you were to stop on that, where were you going? You're going back down, right? That's kind of the picture of what, what, what we're here, what, what we're looking at here in sin. When we are in unrepentant sin, sin that we don't want to let go of. Sin that, sin that, honestly, we want to hold on to. When it's like that, our spiritual health kind of goes back down. And gets worse and worse and worse. The further we get from our destination, our goal, to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Lord. It's a descent. It's not standing still. Let's read verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. During the tur- turmoil, during this loud storm, waves crashing up against the boat, the boat is breaking, the sailors are probably yelling at one another, they're screaming at one another to try to, to save themselves from the storm. What is Jonah doing in the innermost part of the boat? Snoozing. He's sleeping. Like someone who's too depressed to get out of bed, Jonah's attitude toward the turmoil that is going around him is one of apathy. You know what apathy means? Just don't care. Jonah's at this point where he just don't care. In fact, he's probably thinking in the bed as he's hearing the storm, I wish the storm would just go ahead and take us out. Like, I'm done. I wish the storm would take us out. And that's something that we have to to realize too. This is the next point is that unrepentant sin. When we choose to stay in our sin and not repent of our sin. When we choose not to turn from our sin and turn to God. It makes us numb to everything that is going on around us. And it causes spiritual apathy. You ever been there? I have. I have. I just don't want to get up. I don't want to read my Bible this morning. Eh, I just, just won't do it. Or uh, there are things going on around me. I just, I just don't care. Unrepentant sin can cause that spiritual apathy. It's a feeling of I just don't care. What's the point? We saw this gradual descent of Jonah keep going down. These words that the author of Jonah uses. Jonah keeps going down to Joppa, goes down in the ship, goes down to the innermost part of the ship. But there's a contrast here. What are God's first words to Jonah in the book? Get up. That's his first words. Get up. Arise. Get up. What does the captain say to Jonah as he comes down to the innermost part of the ship? Get up. That's what he's saying. Get up. Arise. Call out to your God. Maybe your God can help us. And, and, and the captain of the ship says way much more than he intends to say. 
This is God speaking through a Gentile sinner sailor, a Gentile sinner captain here, when he says, get up and call out to your God, because honestly, this is the exact answer to the problem. Jonah needs to get up. He needs to call out to his God. But Jonah remains uninterested, apathetic. Even when his life and the lives of others are at stake and they're on the brink of death, Jonah remains insistent that he doesn't commune with God and that he doesn't talk to God or listen to God. And this is the next point, is that when unrepentant sin, we refuse to get it out of our lives. We refuse to repent of of sin. We refuse to get rid of this sin. It causes a lack of desire to commune with God. It does. It causes this lack of desire. It causes us to more than often want to run away from God more than run to God. But the answer is not to run away from God when you're in sin. God doesn't want you to run away from him when you're in sin. Where does he want you to go? He wants you to go to him. He wants you to go to him. Captain had it right. Repent and commune with God. And this is like us in our sin. And notice, Jonah still doesn't cry out. He still doesn't shout out to God. He still doesn't cry out to God. And two things would have ended this storm. One or two things. One of two things would have ended the storm. Y'all with me? Okay. One of two things would have ended this storm completely. Number one, if Jonah would have went overboard, which he did. Number two, think about this. The thing that would have ended the storm is Jonah getting on his knees and repenting of his sin and crying out for mercy to God. And the whole point of the book is that a great, merciful God has great mercy on great sinners. That's the point of the book. And he would have had mercy on Jonah. And the storm would have ended, and he would have said, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please have mercy on me. I will go to Nineveh. I will get off at the next port, grab a ship, go straight to Nineveh right now. God, please forgive me. I'm sorry, have mercy on me. And I believe that God would have done it, ended that storm. And we said, okay, go. But Jonah still refuses. He still refuses. Jonah 1, 7. Let's, let's continue on verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. This is the only way uh, the sailors had any idea what was going on. They're crying out to their gods. Each one's crying out to their God and reminding us, the reader, that these people aren't Israelites. They're from all other nations worshiping their own gods. And they're all crying out to their gods. And of course, their gods aren't answering. Their gods aren't answering because, frankly, they're not real. They're not answering. They're not coming on behalf of the sailors. And so when the captain wakes up Jonah, he says, go cry out to your God. And he doesn't cry out to his God. And so all they know left to do is to cast lots just to see which roll dice and to see who the, who the dice lands on. And they do. And the dice lands on our prophet in the boat. Jonah lands on Jonah. See, Jonah knew. <laughs> this is the, this is the crazy part. Jonah knew exactly why this storm was happening. He knew exactly why this boat was getting battered. He knew that this storm, even though it was getting stronger, 
He knew that this storm was getting worse because of him and because of his disobedience. It took the sailors to cast lots and the lot to fall on him before he said anything about it. How selfish. He's willing to risk not only his own life, but the lives of the sailors and just not say a word. Just not say a word about it. And this is the next thing. It's unrepentant sin causes and results in a very self-centered attitude and a very selfish attitude. Verses 8 through 12. Let's take a big chunk on this one. And they said to him, Tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. <laughs> yeah, right. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you so that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea grew more and more tempest. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now they know who Jonah is, and they are terrified. And the reason that they're terrified, it's not just it's not a big thing that a person is running away from their God, running out of the land that their God is in and running to another God just because they may have offended this, this God uh, out, of, out of their land somehow. Um, but no, Jonah says, yes, I worship the one true God, the God of the land and the sea. And these sailors are terrified. And they're saying, oh my gosh. These other gods don't control the sea, but this God, you're telling me that you came on board, that you offended your God, and you're telling me that your God is the God of the sea? You're telling me that your God is the one that controls the sea? We could have ran away from another God, but your God, you've brought death upon us. Now the sailors would have every right, and I think I probably would have, at this point picked up Jonah and just threw him overboard, right? (laughs) But they don't. And Jonah is just, he, he says, look, the only way that you're going to get this storm to stop, the only way that this storm is going to, 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 to quit is if you pick me up and you throw me overboard because I'm not doing it myself. He refuses. He refuses to throw himself overboard. He cares nothing about these sailors. He cares nothing about them. He says, I'm refused to go. This is the next point. Unrepentant sin causes stubborn hardness of heart. Unrepentant sin causes stubborn hardness of heart. Jonah, you can see this in Jonah. I'm not doing it. I'm not going. I'm not going overboard. I'm not. You're going to have to pick me up and throw me overboard because I'm not doing it. I'm not jumping in. I just assume we all die. And he's taking that attitude. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It really puts the sailors in a difficult position here, right? Because on one hand, they don't want to keep offending this God by letting Jonah live. 
They don't want to keep offending this God because the storm's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But on the other hand, they don't want to throw Jonah into the sea because Jonah's going to die. They don't want to see Jonah die. They don't want to kill him and they don't want to be a part of his death. How crazy because Jonah feels the exact opposite about them. The people of God, the person of God, the prophet of God feels the exact opposite that the Gentile sinners who did not worship God felt. Feels the exact opposite about it. Why? Because unrepentant sin is a killer of compassion for other people. It is. When you choose to keep sin in your life, when you choose to, uh, to, to not repent of it, and I've already said it makes you self-centered, it makes you selfish, but it is a killer of compassion for other people. It only thinks about self. It's not love. Verse 14. Therefore they cried out to the Lord. The sailors cried out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done As it pleased you, they did everything they could to spare Jonah's life. But they couldn't make it to dry land because as they were trying to get closer to dry land, God made the storm a lot worse. They tried and tried and tried to save Jonah. But they did something that Jonah should have done. (laughs) Notice, it wasn't Jonah, it wasn't the prophet of God that goes to God in prayer. It was the sailors who goes to God in prayer. And he says, God, please don't count this blood against us. We don't want to be guilty of this blood. We're, the storm's not stopping. Obviously, you want us to do something about this. He's not jumping overboard. Please don't let, don't let this blood fall in our hands. And they prayed it out to God. And so, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him. Into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors hurled Jonah into the sea. They did everything they could do. They even asked for mercy from God because they didn't want to offend this holy God. They didn't want to offend him. The exact opposite attitude that Jonah had. Jonah did not care if he offended God. He did not care if he sinned against God. The sailors, the Gentile sinner sailors, cared if they offended God. They cared about that. But the Lord had mercy on them. They asked for mercy, and what did they get? Mercy. They asked for mercy, and they received mercy. Notice that. This is the whole point of the book. You'll see it throughout the whole book. Mercy will come to those who ask for mercy, who repent and ask for mercy. So what do the sailors do? They make a vow to the Lord. They sacrifice to the Lord. It changes their lives completely. And now they are followers of the one true God. And this brings up the point that unrepentant sin, no matter how bad it is, still cannot thwart The ultimate plan of God. And this speaks to God's sovereignty, doesn't it? Because what was Jonah so mad about at the beginning of the book? Preaching to Gentile sinners in Nineveh. That's what he was so mad about in the book. 
in the front of the book. So he runs from that. And what ends up happening even in his rebellion? Gentile sinners ended up coming to the Lord. (laughs) He can't stop the plan of God, right? He can't stop the plan of God. God will accomplish his purpose. And the very thing that Jonah hated to see happen, happened. And Gentile sinners repented. They came to the Lord. They made vows to him. They completely turned their life over to the Lord in worship. And it changed their lives forever. All because God is a merciful God. To those who repent, they made made a sacrifice. Those who commit, they vowed. And those who ask for mercy. God is a merciful God. Now, all this could have been avoided if Jonah didn't sin in the first place, right? If he would have got up and went to Nineveh, all this could have been avoided. The misery of descending deeper into sin, the misery of descending deeper into transgression could have been avoided if Jonah would have joyfully obeyed. But we don't do that all the time, do we? We don't joyfully obey all the time, do we? He sank deeper into his sin and did not ask God for mercy And he suffered the consequences for it. But the point of this passage is still God gives mercy for those who ask. And we will see next week that Jonah ends up asking for mercy. And what does God do? I'm just ruining next week's sermon for you. God gives mercy to Jonah. So the question is this. What are you holding on to? What do you keep going back to in your life? In your life, what, what sin do, do, do you keep going back to? Or, or what things has God told you to do, but you haven't done it? Or you refuse to do it? Or you just make excuses of why you can't do it? What things are you holding on to? What things are you holding on to that you know in your heart of hearts that is disobedience to God? What things do you, do you hold on to? Well, I've got good news for you, church, that God is a God of mercy And if you go to him and you repent, God wants to give you mercy. And God is saying this to you right now. For those who are holding on to sin, God is saying this to you now. And for those even who those who are not holding on to sin, there will be a time in your life where you sin again and you walk away from the Lord again and you're prone to wander away from the Lord again. And this is just advice for you and biblical counsel for you when you end up doing that is that God is quick to dole out mercy to those who repent and ask for it. He's quick to do that. He doesn't just want your obedience. He doesn't just want you your service. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants blank, insert your name there. He wants you and all of you. He wants your affections. That's what he wants. He wants your devotion. He wants Your love toward him, that's what he wants from you. Not just obedient service. Yes, he wants service. Yes, he wants obedience. But he wants your heart. I want to end with this verse of scripture. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. I'm going to read this. This says a lot about the character of God. And for those who are caught up, entangled, and your transgression, listen to these words. This is wonderful words to people who are great sinners. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses 
the floor and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It's a promise. It's a good promise. We're caught in sin so easily entangles us and besets us. God is quick to dole out mercy and says, come, I will forgive you. Come, I'm giving you mercy. Come, come to me, you who are weary by your own own sin. And I will take that burden off of you and you will find rest. I want your heart and you will be so much happier in the presence of God than you will entangled up in this sin. So those who are dealing with that sin, would you come? Would you, would you do that? Would you commit that to the Lord to confess and forsake your sin, confess it to the Lord, and ask God for mercy, and he will be faithful to give it. Let's pray.